Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. It's Monday, January 11th. We're going to highlight some of the interviews from the three-hour program that occurred live today in this podcast. We'll be talking with Sean Talbot. He's the creator of Clean Cup. It's a hands-free lid dispenser. You will never have to worry about anybody at a drive-thru putting their hands on your cup's lid anymore which is especially comforting when we're talking about a pandemic. So more on that coming up. We're also going to replay our conversation with Kevin Donovan from the Toronto Star. He's a chief investigative reporter there, and he has the latest on the Sherman case, specifically a five-hour conversation he had with the Sherman's son, Jonathan. That's coming up. But first, here to talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C., Reggie Cicchini, our global national Washington reporter. Welcome to the show, Reggie. Good morning. So where are we at right now with the 25th Amendment and uh, pushing Pence towards that and also describe the process if that doesn't pass on impeachment? Yeah, so 25th is going to be tabled later today by House Democrats uh, led by Speaker Pelosi and a number of people with inside the caucus. And it's essentially going to give Vice President Pence 24 hours to invoke that uh, that uh, part of the Constitution to remove President Trump's power, saying that he's unable to execute the duties of office. If that fails by 24 hours after this moment uh, it comes, uh, then they are going to move towards uh, kind of introducing and tabling the, the impeachment impeachment articles, which were just released uh, just about an hour ago, that charged Donald Trump with one uh, high crime and misdemeanor, and that is, quote unquote, incitement of insurrection. That is going to be introduced at 11 a.m. Eastern. uh, And then, you know, the ball will be in Mike Pence's court before it returns back to Nancy Pelosi's hands. The timing of the impeachment trial, it could hurt Biden, I'm hearing, and his coronavirus aid getting out in time that basically needs to save lives. So can you speak to that? Yeah, so essentially we have some lawmakers saying that if the House passes the impeachment, if they vote on it and President Trump is impeached, to hold off on holding any kind of trial until after the first 100 days of uh, President-elect Joe Biden's administration to get him uh, the ball rolling when it comes to things like uh, dealing with other issues like the Russia cyber attack, like the pandemic, uh, and then bring the trial forward uh, because during a Senate impeachment trial, all other work halts. So this would be a way for the administration to kind of start moving forward and then go backwards. It's, you know, a hard sell with some of the Democratic base who want to see President Trump held accountable now, but it also is simply a matter of timing and a matter of waiting until Democrats potentially, or at least will, have uh, control of the Senate to be able to do what they need to do. Because what's at stake is if you wait too long, it makes it look like it was less serious than it was. And we're finding out it was very serious what went down at the Capitol. Absolutely, it was very serious. I mean, not only did we wind up with five deaths, uh, including uh, officers, we are learning that this threat was, you know, essentially ignored by uh, by law enforcement personnel for days, if not weeks ahead of time. The president himself is being, uh, you know, reprimanded here, not only in the House, but also uh, being criticized for not acting uh, with enough speed. This was a serious event. And there are Democrats who feel that if this is pushed off far too long, it could work against them uh, in the next round of elections. Uh, but they also have to understand that Republicans need to be on side if they want to go anywhere in this trial, especially if it comes to conviction. You know, the day after uh, Wednesday, when we started to find out exactly what went down, we started to talk to reporters that were there. I talked to Ed Keenan 
about, um, you know, his experience. And he was saying, you know, the, the mob was like, you know, there were so many different people. You know, there was actually a food truck he saw set up outside. And it didn't seem as serious as we're learning now. I mean, it was serious because people had breached the Senate. and People were, you know, uh, ferried away to safer uh, areas and offices, sequestered, locked in, barricading themselves. Um, but now we're really getting a real picture of what was going on. And it is chilling. The video that we're seeing is chilling. We're seeing police officers literally being beaten with the pole, the flagpole that the American flag hangs on. We are seeing uh, police officers being dragged by their helmets downstairs. Uh, several Republicans are calling from Trump for Trump to do the right thing and resign now, especially after we saw video of the crowd, the mob chanting, hang Mike Pence. And apparently they actually set up a gallows. So, you know, several Republicans calling for Trump to resign. It's it's probably not going to happen. But what do you know about, you know, Trump won't be able to probably constitutionally pardon himself. But there is word that if Trump and Pence work together, uh, Trump could resign and then Pence could pardon him. What are the odds of that? And what is the upside for Pence, who, you know, apparently hadn't talked to Trump very much at all? Uh, was not speaking to Trump after he heard about what was being said because he was in the Capitol when the mob came for him. Yeah, and I mean, okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Number one, we also need to remember that uh, Chuck Grassley and, and Nancy Pelosi were also also targeted by these crowds, uh, and they are the number two and three uh, in the line of presidential succession. So there was a chance here for government to kind of be put into a downward spiral uh, when it comes to who would have been in line if these these uh, people who were you know taking part in this quote unquote act of insurrection uh, would have been able to succeed going forward. Uh, dealing with with the Trump and Pence situation, they. We're, it's reported they still haven't talked since last Wednesday. I can't comment to whether or not they're, they're working together to try and figure out a way to protect President Trump. Uh, you know, it would be difficult for someone like Mike Pence to fall into that position because he does have presidential aspirations, uh, and that could be seen as a negative if he were to decide to run four years from now. But number two, when it comes to uh, pardoning somebody, you have to be charged with something to be able to be pardoned for something. And if President Trump has not been charged with anything at a federal level, uh, with the exception of being impeached, which you can't really pardon yourself from an impeachment uh president trump would have to face a charge in a order criminal to charge be, yeah in order to be uh in uh to be pardoned by by you know a uh, uh, presumed acting president uh mike pence so it, it's it's a broad and long mm-hmm. and very difficult conversation to get into could he have i know you said it's broad and long and, and difficult but i'm it interests me so i'm going to ask you this other question could uh he be charged and could they be waiting to charge uh Trump for incitement uh a criminal charge of you know inciting that mob and inciting violence till after the 20th it's possible. Last week, we found out the federal prosecutors were actively looking in to see whether they could find President Trump responsible or at least hold him accountable for some of what happened. So there are opportunities here and there are avenues uh, for for prosecutors uh, and for investigators to go down to potentially hold President Trump uh, responsible. You know, whether or not that leads to a charge, whether or not that le- that leads to a conviction, obviously, uh, is still to be seen. But it would be far too late for anybody in the current administration to do anything about it if charged. Are, are laid against President Trump. We also have to remember that there are uh, state investigations into President Trump as well, and pardons don't cover state-level crimes. Uh, 
you know, so, so, so there's a lot of unanswered questions as to what we're going to see going forward. Uh, you know, the, the focus right now is on President Trump, uh, his silence right now, uh, mm-hmm. and what we could see over the next nine days. Well, it's kind of hard to hear him when his uh, megaphone has been shut down by Twitter and he's been uh, kicked off of all the social media sites. Uh, I heard that Stripe will halt payment and processing as of today for Donald Trump's campaign website. Um, can you tell us what that exactly means to uh, Trump? Well, that part I, I, I can't get into because that part I, I, I haven't read up on. Uh, but the comment about, you know, the president not being able to speak because Parler has been shut down and because he has no access to Twitter. We have to remember that there is a taxpayer funded press office that is one door over from the Oval Office right now. And at any point in time over the last four years and over the last four days, President Trump has had an ability to get a camera put in front of him or to walk into the briefing room and provide an update to the American public and the world about exactly what happened. And the president has chosen not to do that. And there's reporting out this morning from the New York Times that President Trump does not like to be in a position of being asked questions that he doesn't know how to answer. Uh, And it was one of the least liked parts of his position over the last four years. Uh, So for the president or Republican lawmakers to come out and gripe that they don't have uh, this ability to speak uh, via tweet and via parlor is simply incorrect uh, and is, you know, an affront to their office because Mm -hmm. they have an ability to speak whenever they want. Reggie, I want to thank you for your insight on this and giving us the latest. We'll have to wait and see. It's uh, it's the biggest story on the planet right now beyond the coronavirus. And, uh, it, you know, the democracy hangs in the balance right now. We'll see what happens and what they decide to do about it in the states. Yeah, watch the vote. Expecting that impeachment vote to come down on Wednesday. All right. Uh, reading Kevin Donovan's latest column in the Toronto Star. He is their uh, investigative uh, reporter. He is has been on the Barry and Honey Sherman case for oh three years now since this occurred and uh it, this latest kevin thanks for joining the show by the way reads like an episode of uh, a netflix like serial crime it's a crime serial it's i'm completely addicted to uh your column today and i guess my first question is um who's jonathan sherman Jonathan Sherman is a 37-year-old uh, son of Barry and Honey Sherman, the late Barry and Honey Sherman. Jonathan is uh, uh, a Toronto businessman, I guess you could describe him that. He uh, has a company that Barry funded called Green Storage, which is uh, does self-storage units, uh, nine spots around the GTA. Uh, and he's also one of the three uh, trustees uh, on his father's estate. Uh, and he's a person who says he's tired of uh, the, the rumors and whispers that he had something to do with this murder, and he wants to speak out and uh, saying he didn't. But the interesting thing is what I'd also learned, which led me to this interview, is that two weeks prior to the murders, he had been asked by his father to repay uh, 50 to $60 million that, uh, that Barry needed. So there's certainly some tension in the relationship between father and son. Now, in the past, I mean, I know you've been interviewing all kinds of people trying to to get to the bottom of of what uh, people know about the murder of Barry and Honey Sherman. But in the past, had you reached out to Jonathan Sherman and how receptive was he to your you know, request for an interview? Uh, for the last three years, I've reached out to him continually. There's been some letters exchanged. Uh, he wasn't pleased with questions I was asking. And he would say that he would send all my questions and his answers to the police, but not answer any to me. So when I found myself in this uh, chilly garage with him for five hours last December 19th, I was quite surprised because uh, I had a sense that he would never speak to me. And, and you know, I guess if you, if you hang around uh, the hoops long enough, uh, people will talk. 
Why do you think he, he reached out to you and wanted to meet with you? What was his motivation? Well, I think it was because I had been sending him more questions. I had, had learned in early December that there had been this request from Barry for the repayment. And so uh, I think he, well, he, he figured that I was going to write a story about that. And so he should uh, give context. And of course, as you know, Kelly, like we love that. We want, I want to get all sides of the story. And I, and I hope that I did do a good job in presenting his side. He says that, sure, my dad was asking for 50 to $60 million back, but he was all in with my business and, and had said uh, uh, in a year and a half uh, going forward by 2019, when the Apotex financial picture improved, he would be able to give more money. So that, that's his story. Uh, and he's, you know, he's a very wealthy man. He's a billionaire. And so for him, 50 to $60 million, the way he describes it, is not that big a deal. Yeah, you know, he wasn't happy with the way you portrayed him in past articles with luxury cars, flying around in private jets. Um, when you went to his uh, house in the woods, did it look like he was a billionaire? It looked like he had money that he could, you know, make liquid at any time. Well, no, I mean he. Uh, the, the situation was uh, he invited me to what I refer to as his compound. It's a hundred-acre uh, compound in the GTA, and uh, the house I drove up to was appeared to be vacant. Uh, and it turns out that he's living on another house on the compound. This just happens to be where he chose to meet, and it wasn't in a. In, inside the, the house, the, the, the log cabin house where he used to live. It was, in fact, uh, in this uh, garage uh, where he's building a, a canoe. And so I know one, a reader could look at this and say, well, he's trying to show that he's, you know, uh, a man of the people. He's putting, building his own canoe, which is great. Uh, so he called it a COVID-19 uh, uh, distraction or pursuit that he's doing. Uh, his Tesla was parked there, but he wanted to make sure I knew that it was a used Tesla when he bought it. Uh, I, I do expect that he that there's part. I never portrayed him as somebody in private jets. I, I did say that he flew first class, and which he said he does, but that's only internationally. Uh, you know, he's uh, his father. I see his father in him, from what I know of Barry Sherman. Uh, they certainly look similar. And, you know, Barry was a very frugal, thrifty person, and Jonathan said he is too. So I have to take him at face value. Apparently, when you were talking to him in the garage, and you look at the the fact that his father asked him to repay tens of millions of dollars two weeks before the murders. I mean, that's ringing alarm bells, right? Apparently, did he say his sister thinks he may have had something to do with his parents' murder in some capacity? Yeah, he, he did say that. His sister, Alex, is the one that's, I think that the, the two of them have taken, she's taken the lead on the Sherman Charities. He's taken the lead as uh, the trustee of the estate on the actual financial side of it. And, uh, yeah, he said that she thinks that he had something to do with the murders, and he wanted to say that that's untrue. I, I know that that, that is the case. I, I've heard that before uh, about the sister. Um, this is one of three sisters he has. And uh, he said that's a rift that he thinks will never be healed, and I'm not surprised. Something unusual happened while you were talking to him. It was five hours you were talking to him, talking to him in the garage, and there was a knock on the door and a wellness check. Talk about that. Yeah, since the, the murders uh, in 2017, so as you pointed out three years ago, uh, this various members of the Sherman family have hired these uh, Israeli security teams. Uh, they used to work for a bank in Israel, and so they, they, I've always known that that the, civil, the, the children and some of the executives of Apotex have had these people around. 
And so, uh, and I've seen them with my own eyes when I've been you know, dropping by trying to talk to people. And uh, so they were there when I arrived, uh, uh, sort of at the entrance, and uh, just sort of hanging around as these guys do. And then uh, a couple of hours into it, there was a knock on the door, and a fellow uh, wearing a mask came to the, the door of the garage and just wanted to see if everything was okay. I think he, you know, he was checking to see if Mr. Sherman was okay. And Jonathan said, yeah, he's fine. And the guy went on his way. And it turns out, I said, well, where, where do these guys live? And he said, well, I, I've given them one of the houses on the property. Wow. So, I mean, th- that to me seems unusual. Is it just because I'm an average person? I wouldn't have the cash to hire a security detail and both of my parents are still alive and well. I mean, is is that weird to you that they would have security detail? It is weird to me. Uh, I... I, I don't think it's 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 necessary, and I certainly don't think, that from what I've seen of, of this detail, that they're gonna they're gonna be that successful um, if they're gonna let somebody sit for three hours in a garage with somebody. Um, I, that's just the, what they do now. Now, one of the former Barry's second in command at Apotex, he had his own security detail until he was fired by Jonathan. Uh, a, a year and a day after the murder. So so his security was really important, and then he loses his security detail. So uh, to me, it, it might be just an attempt to show the world that, that uh, you know, they want their privacy and they're afraid for their life. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, another way to look at it is that their parents were the victims of vicious murders, and, mm-hmm. and the, the killer or killers are still out there, so... So the police have mentioned, and this was uh, there was a lot made of this uh, that they had uh, a person of interest. They referred to that they're you know they're not giving up more information than that. Is it possible that Jonathan wanted to reach out to you because he believes that he may be the person of interest and he wanted you to help get his story out? Yeah, I, I asked him that. Uh, I I think that the police have since clarified that to say that yes, there are numerous persons of interest and. He said, I'm sure that the police have looked at all the family members because of the amount of money involved. And, and I thought that was a really good com- comment he made. Uh, so I, I'm, it's, from what I understand from the, from the police in our, during our court hearing, there are numerous persons of interest and uh, there's, they still are classifying them all as persons of interest. So, but I do think that there was something to this related to the police. I think that that Jonathan was trying to get a message out. And I mean, and by the way, he said that even though there's no longer a Sherman private investigation team, he's hired his own uh, through a New York lawyer, a former district attorney in the United States, uh, Bob Seiden. So he's hired uh, to try and get to the bottom of the murder. So he said he's committed to it and I have to take him at face value. Kevin, it's always interesting uh, talking about this case with you, and I know that you'll uh, you'll be talking with us again soon because it's still open, and we still don't know who killed Barry and Honey Sherman. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Kelly. We have seen people invent things and pivot and design things to deal with this pandemic at a speed with which, you know, I don't know many of us anticipated could actually happen. I think you, we've even, even government has moved quicker than it ever, ever has. Uh, there's a story I read caught my eye on the CBC. It's about a father and son team that alleged that Tim Hortons decided to take their invention idea. Basically, they had pitched it to them. And funnily enough, they, they liked it, but nothing ever happened with it. Deal fell through. And they say that the chain stole their idea 
or at least are alleging this is going on. Um, they're Yoland and Sean Talbot. Sean joins the show right now. Sean, welcome to the program. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Listen, I have not been to a drive-through uh, coffee window since this pandemic began, even when I was hankering for a cup of joe. Why? Because the way they handle the lids. You came up, your dad came up with this great um, invention on how you could safely handle a coffee lid uh, in a drive-through so that people would be assured that no one touched their lid during this pandemic. Tell us a little bit about the invention. Yeah, we were actually, uh, funny enough, we were actually going through a drive-through on our way to present one of our other products um, to a major national franchise. And uh, and they... Uh, when we were going through the drive-through, they they accepted our payment, but then we noticed through the window um, that they were applying all the coffee lids kind of with their bare hand. And before you didn't really notice it as much, um, but but due to the heightened awareness of of this, you know how easily this virus was spread, we it definitely caught our attention. And my dad um, sitting in the passenger window was like, "I've got I've got an idea," and uh, and that was. Um, Literally the same day that we that we pitched another product to uh, yeah the other national uh, brand that serves coffee, so we were we were excited. This is a different kind of. It's you might not have anticipated this question, but did you drink the coffee? Uh, we took the lids off, we took the lids <laughs> off, and drank the coffee, and uh, and that's kind of where um, yeah we immediately went and then designed and manufactured uh, a couple prototypes they were perfect and okay. then we um yeah then we we pitched it to um different companies and tim hortons um asked us to come down to their uh, oakville wycroft uh, location which is their training facility for their franchise owners um and and when we brought it there we kind of were uh, introduced this gentleman um, who manages that operation and uh it just kind of I don't know if he rolled his eyes, but he wasn't like extremely interested in our um, in our product until we showed them how it worked, and and then he immediately went and contacted his office, and and that's when the ball got rolling back in April. Okay, let me let me break in for a second because I think it's important to state that we all know that good design is simple design. Your idea is incredibly simple and it's brilliant. How does it how does it work? The clean cap. Uh, yeah. So each brand of coffee. Um, their coffee lids have a particular area on each lid that that can be um, utilized to allow a bit of a grip. And just enough pressure allows them to um, pluck one off of the the tower of of lids that are ready to be used. So we designed each one to fit each brand, um, and in in. In doing that, we also designed it so that you could flip the ring over to use it on different coffee lid sizes without also contaminating the coffee lid. So it's an actually a dual-use product, and, uh, and that's what we were also very excited about. It, you know, it's not just a, you know you don't have to buy one uh, or buy two rings. You can actually just buy one ring to to satisfy all of the the different uh, cups sizes. Yeah, and yeah, that's and incredible. That's that's where we kind of realized that things were breaking down a little bit as the as the interest was gaining and, and the hundreds of samples were being sent out to Tim Horton locations. Um, one of the executive a- asked us to um, essentially break the product into two different products to increase the volume that they could sell to or or mandate the sale to their franchise. The franchisees, yeah, make more yeah, money. That kind of that kind of for us that really. We had to take a step back, and, and we told them, "No, we're not interested in doing that because that's not our objective. Was not to 
to profiteer from it. We really wanted to look out for the best interest of these um, these Tim Horton operators that you know were were going through these financial obstacles and staffing obstacles, and and we knew that they were they were spending a lot of time and energy trying to. Um, deal with the pandemic and stay alive and yeah. stay afloat and keep people safe. I, I hear what you're saying, and I I, uh, I love your story, and that's why I wanted to have you on the program. Unfortunately, I hate it when I put a guest I'm really interested in at my last, last segment because we're at a bit of a time crunch. But let's Absolutely. fast forward to what you've discovered Tim Hortons is doing. They kind of took a pass on your... Uh, your clean cap, although other people have adopted it, other, you know, uh, businesses, I think Burger King's got it, uh, you know, uh, other places are using it now. They took a pass. Mm-hmm. And, and then what did you notice? Um, we, we, we had started the back in April and by June, I think it was around middle of June, they called us and they said, you're, you're, you're fully approved. And we thought, okay, we're definitely going to, um, you know, they, they, they had said in writing that, you know, as long as it was approved that you'd receive a PO. And so we just kind of waited and, and kind of weeks went by and we thought something's a little bit odd. And we, we really, we kind of sent in a bunch of emails with no response. I thought something's, something's really bizarre here. So we, um, we focused our attention elsewhere, and in the meantime, they obviously uh, had, um, you know, from what they, they've stated, someone else approached them with the same concept. But uh, oh, All of a sudden, you know, somebody else has the same idea, and although we've <laughs> all been looking at that person handling our drive through lid going, oh, you got to be kidding me, that's disgusting, that's and no one's done anything till the pandemic. Yeah, since April, like, th- I mean, I, I would say, uh, like, almost uh, one point. Three billion coffees were served, knowing yeah. that this product was available, and so I'm I'm perplexed as to why a why they waited so long, and b why they why they didn't just mandate it and put it out there. Okay, so we literally have about thirty seconds left. Didn't you file uh, patents? And and if yep. so, wouldn't they be going against those patents? Wouldn't you have a lawsuit? Yeah, they they specified in writing um, earlier when we when we demonstrated another product um, that they they said in writing that they ignore patents. So um, I believe this is a typical stance for perhaps all you know um, big companies to just kind of look at the smaller guy and their 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 work efforts and and disregard them perhaps. Well, very quickly, who is using your clean cap? Uh, pretty much every brand. There's like 400 McDonald's locations that we've sent out with other products. Um, they're pretty A and W. There's some at uh, Starbucks. There, everybody. Second Cup um, is a big uh, supporter of ours. So we have a, a lot of almost every place you can buy coffee. Um, their independent operators can purchase it from us and have purchased it from us. So we're 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 pleased with the response we're getting. Um, we're just not pleased with uh, how corporate uh, procurement officers um, and analysts deal with. Uh, with Canadian inventors. Wow. Sean, that's a, it's a, I have to say congratulations on coming up with that, or at least your dad coming up with it and you guys getting it to um, market soon. And also thanks for giving me the confidence to have a cup of coffee again. Like if I'm going yep. through a McDonald's drive through confidently have a drive through coffee again. Yeah. Support all the, uh, support all the owners. They, every, every brand, every owner is working the hardest to, uh, to make uh, ends meet. So Tim Hortons and owners included, um, they're, uh, they're all working hard as independent operators. Sean, you're a good guy. I want to thank you for your time today. All right. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Always a pleasure having you here. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the podcast and it will be waiting for you daily. Speaking of daily, have a good one. Cheers.